0: Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. I'm the producer, Tara Gleason. First, I would like to thank the sponsor for this episode. This conversation has been made possible thanks to the Hickam Officer Spouses Club. Today, we are bringing back a longtime friend from Partners in Promise, Michelle Norman, who you might remember from some of our previous episodes. And you will be hearing from Jennifer Barnhill for the first time. Please continue to leave us your comments down in the comments section. Now listen with me as we learn more about what Partners and Promise has accomplished since the last time we
1: spoke. Welcome everyone to our podcast for the sake of the child. My name is Susan Sellers. I'm the spouse of an active duty service member parent to three teenagers, master parent to parent educator, and now a podcast host at the Military Child Education Coalition. Today, we're gonna be talking to the founder and director of Partners in Promise, Michelle Norman, and its chief operating officer, Jennifer Barnhill. Now, we're gonna have a lot of detailed information in today's interview, so I want our listeners to know that all the links and websites that we're going to discuss today, are going to be included in the show's notes, so you can go back and check those out a little bit later. So, we're going to get started. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you, Susan, for having
1: us. So, for our listeners that are not familiar with Partners in Promise, Michelle, can you briefly share about your organization? Thank you, Susan.
2: I would love to. And also, thank you to Military Child Education Coalition for having us today. And We really value our partnership with MSEC um, and look forward to the wonderful things we're going to be doing this year. But a little bit about Partners in Promise. We are a grassroots advocacy organization founded by four military spouses. Our main mission is really to educate and empower our exceptional military families and advise and advocate our military service organizations, DOD, and public officials about special education challenges that our families face. And our goal is really to remove these educational hurdles so that our students can receive an appropriate education. And you may think, well, why is that such a difficult thing? We have federal law, which is Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, but with our military lifestyle of moving every two to three years, that has been a significant issue for our families as far as how to ensure that they're receiving an education every time they move ensuring that those services and supports are not disruptive, and to be able to not have any of that lost instruction from moving from you know, duty station to duty station, state to state. All of our founders you know, actually have experience with it personally. Some of us have had legal battles as well um, to ensure that our children have access to an appropriate education. And I feel like Partners in Promise was needed. There was a void in our military community um, to address these challenges. So we ended up creating some legislation called the Promise Act, which is protecting the rights of military children in special education to address it. We've worked with many wonderful partners such as MSEC and MOA and others in our military community so that we can turn these challenges to solutions and legislative action. Let me tell you a little bit. We are a young organization. We're almost a year old. Um, all volunteer by all active duty military spouses. And we're just hoping to make an impact, you know, through the collaboration of many of these partnerships and trying to make, you know, this military lifestyle not affect, you know, the readiness and retention of our families who have children with special needs.
1: Well, I have to say, Partners in Promise has, even though you've only been around just shy of a year, it's been a remarkably busy year for the organization. And I think it is a great example of how elevated voices really can take what they're hearing and create change. So, in addition to the Promise Act, What I'd like to do in this podcast is highlight two specific things that were accomplished this past year in support of military families who have special education needs. The first one is the Congressional Military Family Caucus. And this event for our listeners that aren't familiar with it, this event is an opportunity to influence Congress and how it looks at many of the military family programs. And this includes special education what i'd like for you to do is to share partners and promise involvement with this event.
2: Sure. So i i think maybe we should say the venue of the congressional military families caucus is not really to influence. I would probably say it's more of to educate and share, you know, what those challenges are for military families. You know, i think it's important for folks that are in The position to make change, just to listen and hear those stories, boots on the ground stories from actual military families of what's impacting them and to make sure that their service members can do their job of serving in the military without having these additional burdens to worry about. So when we started sharing our stories personally um, with our legislators, you always try to find folks who understand the military lifestyle. And the good thing is that there's plenty of um, legislators that have served in the military, they're in committees that specifically look at military issues on both sides of the house. And so we really did target you know, those folks who have expressed a lot of dedication and commitment to help. And you also wanna look for legislators that understand and that can relate. And so when we were talking um, on, Hill, on the Hill with folks about Special education, you know, one of the, the legislators, Congresswoman Morris Rogers, really took interest in it because she also has a child with special needs. And the more we talked to her, the more I realized that she actually had some challenges with getting an appropriate education for her child. And so I think once you find those people who can relate and they're invested and in, they understand then I think that gives us a lot of momentum to have change made. And so she actually is the co-chair of the Congressional Military Families Caucus. Once they started listening to our story, they said, please come and talk about this at our next caucus summit, which was in Fort Benning in 2019. And at that point, um, we, we said, sure, let's do this. The problem was finding military spouses who were really willing to speak up there has been a tendency in the past of not wanting to share uh, challenges for worry of retaliation from not just, you know, their own command, but from school districts finding out that perhaps things haven't been, you know, as rosy as they would like it to be. So we were able to gather four of us who were willing to speak up, all educated in special education law, all had personal experiences, but we wanted to come to the table with solutions. And so that was really the first time we could elevate special education to more of a national level. And from that, Congresswoman McGorris Rogers said, okay, I love your, your ideas, I love your solutions, draft some legislation with us. And that was the beginning. So it was a great forum for us, and it really has developed into a great relationship to really focus on not just special education at all, you know, military family challenges that we, we have. But I think we certainly, you know, elevated and put a spotlight on this and we, we came with solutions. And it has, you know, obviously come to
1: fruition in the NDAA and others. And we're gonna talk about the NDAA here in just a little bit. But before we do, Jennifer, this was actually your first time testifying at the Congressional Military Family Caucus. Would you share a little bit about your experience?
3: Yeah, so um, this was a separate event. Obviously, we we participated alongside a lot of other family members. Really, it it, it felt very different than anything I've ever observed uh, as a military spouse myself. My husband is active duty, and I joined Partners in Promise. You know, after the founders had already begun their work on the Promise Act, and so once I learned that how actionable their solutions were. It was really exciting to become a part of, but also I noticed that at this past Terry Family Readiness event, we were surrounded by others dealing with variety of situations from housing issues to the struggles with the transition and employment issues. And all of them really brought their stories to the table. Um, And it was really heartening to hear the representative's responses and how encouraging they were in us continuing to share our personal stories because it informs um, their decision making and as Michelle said you know influence or educate for us it's an education because these leaders are truly there looking to find reasonable solutions to problems they are not in themselves so when we were speaking and sharing our concerns and bringing our, our data to these leaders they know that they can go ahead and take take them into change um, and, and make legislation. So that education piece has been key for Partners in Promise and other organizations within the military family readiness space as well.
1: Well, I think anytime that you can have a personal story to go along or to paint a picture uh, for those that are interested in supporting uh, military families you know specifically with special education needs the better uh, and one of the ways you guys gathered your information was through a special education survey that partners in promise conducted Jennifer, can you share some of the more significant findings that came out of the survey?
3: Sure just just a little background before Partners in Premise was founded, they conducted a very grassroots survey, focused a lot on the qualitative stories from families, um, hearing their experiences, just putting a finger on the pulse to understand, Is are these struggles just something that a regional struggle, that a struggle with this particular branch? Um, and what they found was their struggles were universal, felt by every level, um, every rank, every branch and so those qualitative stories um, and hearing those led us to want to take that survey process a step further and so this past year we conducted a survey that was focused on answering more quantitative questions and taking the data and analyzing it to try to find patterns what about the military lifestyle is impacting special education and I don't know how many people out there are familiar with surveys and data. You know, for me, this was a a new process, but also really exciting one because what we discovered was that there were relationships between Exceptional Family Member Program enrollment and outcomes for special education. Those who were enrolled in the program reported better outcomes and not as much struggle And a lot of that, we still need more study because we can't necessarily say that one is caused by the other. But what we did notice is, obviously, as people are more informed about their rights, their benefits that they receive as military members, aware of how to approach a school district, they become more confident as they progress in their military career and in their, in their experiences with special education. But as far as other findings, we asked that the MOVES transitions were a very hard time for families. We looked at IEP status and that's individualized education program. And some people call it individualized education plan. So it's an individual, um, <laughs> Yeah, so Michelle's going to laugh cuz she can speak to that d- detail a little more, but I would say those struggles in the transition were were very at the front and center for our families. So that is an area that we are we're looking at this year.
1: Well, I think as a result of sharing these findings, you know, between the struggles with moves and transitions, IEP statuses, Mm -hmm. as well as those personal stories that were um, shared at the caucus, how did all this culminate into The action that was taken on the NDAA, and Michelle had mentioned that earlier, and for our listeners that weren't familiar with that acronym, that's the National Defense Authorization Act, and that's the next significant accomplishment that I wanted to highlight in this podcast. Jen, can you elaborate a little bit about why this act is so important to all military families?
3: Yeah, so the NDAA is essentially the budget for the DOD. and that means for families is as we see programming increase and funding allocated to military family readiness and programs that support the family, it really is a message. You know, it's kind of like that idea of uh, put put your money where your mouth is. Well, this is DOD, this is government and leadership doing just that. They're seeing that family members are part of the DoD. They are part of the military life, and they want to support that through allocating money. And so, for us at Partners in Promise, we were really excited to hear the response. You know, they heard the stories, they saw the data, and they took that and and they realized, hey, you know, we've been focusing on that exceptional family member program, pretty much focused on um, the medical component, um, because there are things that the DoD were are able to control as far as um, the purpose of the EFMP program and and basing, and and there's many other areas of focus. But in this NDAA, we saw a lot of advancements for the EFMP. We have included standardization across service branches, which is very, a huge win. And I mean, Michelle can kind of speak to that too, but um, the fact that there is now a standardization in the works. Um, Family members know that they can receive the same level of care, um, paperwork. We all know how paperwork can go if you live on a joint base and you're unsure. This is a huge, huge win. We also saw, and I'll let Michelle speak to this a little bit, but the fact that there is going to now be special education attorneys available and advocates to help with those transitions like IEP processes. So I don't know if Michelle, do you wanna to speak to some of that NDAA action because it's direct results, 50% of the Promise Act.
2: Yes, it was a significant win for us. As Jen said, the NDAA is, is really the budget and it certainly is a process you know, um, to, to get legislation into it. And of course, data drives. You know what that change is, and, and there's always dollar amounts associated with it. So it's not always going to necessarily. We may have some great ideas, but it really takes a lot of work to actually get that language into the actual act. I would say going back to last February, I was fortunate to testify in front of the House Armed Services Committee Military Personnel Subcommittee about EFMP. You know, I think EFMP was already <laughs> in the cross crosshairs of of folks on that committee of just, you know, they've been talking about we need reform, we need reform for over a decade. And I was able to bring, you know, the the military family boots on the ground story about our ESMP challenges. And I focused really on the special education piece, whereas military spouse and good friend of ours, Austin Kerrig, focused more on the medical piece. And together, our stories really just, you know, we had a common theme, like, this is not working. You know, there's just too much variation between all the service branches. We both agreed that the Marine Corps really had set the standard as far as how they have increased their case managers. They just have a well-oiled machine on how they, they support their ESMP families. And so we really pointed to that and said, this is what we need. We need help in ensuring that there's transparency and accountability on all levels, you know, of government to ensure that this, this law is implemented the way it should be. And how do we ensure that these IEPs are accepted and implemented each time we move? Um, and when it isn't, you know, what what actions can we take? Who can we go to? There's just no resources, really. That had that specialized you know training in special education, It's not an easy law. It's very complex. We need help, but it can't just be your normal jag that sits on the base, that maybe attended a a webinar on special education. It really needs to be someone who has had significant um, training in that that area. And so I think that testimony, and then be able to come back with you know some concrete solutions for them, really help to have the insertion of that legislation for special education services at all EFMP centric locations. And so that's not necessarily every base. It's just bases that we know that the different service branches feel that there is adequate medical and education available for those EFMP families. So that if they have a problem, that they can at least go to their EFMP office and be able to get some type of special education support, because really that has been non-existent up to this point. And then I think that we'll have to keep an eye on the implementation of how that's going to work. Um, Some branches are already taking the next step. Um, I'm very proud of what the Navy has done as far as being proactive and putting together their own pilot program to not only just provide a special education attorney on each coast, but to also have advocates to also help bridge that gap and then also increase their case liaisons. Because I think a lot of our families really just want someone to talk to. You know, each case is very unique to that family. And if their spouse is deployed, they really just need that support for someone to actually go to a meeting with them if it becomes contentious you know we all want to work together but when you see your child regressing you know it's it's very hard and stressful for our families and that is definitely some of the data that you know Jennifer and I looked at from our surveys just people don't continue to advocate because they're so overwhelmed and emotionally stressed out that they yeah. just stop and that's not what we want we want to be able to empower our families to be able to ensure that their child does not suffer from being in a military lifestyle, and that they can graduate, they can become a productive member of society. That's really what we want, is just to have equal access, like everybody else does, knowing that we are a highly mobile population. And so oh. those are the key parts of that NDA that the special education attorneys. But hey, also, we want to study. We need more data. We need more data on how many of our families are filing complaints or have complaints, but don't know how to exercise their their right to be able to speak up. You know, what are those barriers there? We just don't have the data. So there's a study in there that's gonna look at that. It's gonna look at impact aid and to ensure that that money that is assigned for our kids with disabilities is really going towards, you know, helping them and supporting them. And then just, you know, we just have to, put our eyes on this, it's been a while. And again, the focus has always been on the medical piece. And so I think if we can just do more studies, collect data and then have those special education attorneys in place, I think we're gonna see a lot more satisfaction among our EFMP families um, and knowing you know what bases and stations really are supporting them.
3: I just wanna also back it up for your listeners as well. You know, we are talking a lot about special education and sometimes when you think of special education, you think you know, diagnosis that occurs from birth or something that is very well out but there's also parts of that we're discovering from our survey where our family members are just understanding that their child is dealing with a diagnosis and so. Those families are also um, possibly being forgotten or m- missed um, or just not knowing um so having these in, this increased attention to this to special education and um, it's it stands to take away some stigma it it stands to help equip new families who are new to special education understand that they have resources that are specific to them as military families and so just talking about it today and and having you here with us um, to help inform families that Special education is different because every child is different. Every single person is, needs something that's a little bit different. Um, and, and the military on top of that, it makes it everyone so unique. So we just want to make sure that everyone knows that this awareness is just also a win for our families.
1: Well, I can only imagine too for a, a lot of these families having a light shown on these shortfalls. Well, even though every child is unique, this kind of brings maybe a sense of relief because they're realizing that they're not the only ones experiencing these challenges. But also it's validating them and that finally action is being taken. It's, you know steps through the NDAA in terms of standardization, the request for more information as it pertains to special education. And Michelle, you touched upon one of the, Uh, elements in the, NDAA, which is the pilot program with legal resources, and I know several branches are going to be exploring this, but we're going to do another podcast, another chat a little bit later that's specific to the Navy pilot program and what that involves for those families and those resources. But I have to to ask if we can sort of talk about the future now a little bit because partners and promise, well, you're not just resting on these recent accomplishments, but you're actually picking up <laughs> momentum. Your organization recently collaborated on an issue paper or, you know, say a call for a future action. I would love for our listeners to hear some of the recommendations that you And Jennifer and the rest of the uh, volunteers at Partners in Promise are going to be advocating for in terms of future policy and legislation. Well, you're certainly right, Susan. There is so much to do,
2: but I think that our survey gave us a good roadmap um, of what to kind of focus on this next year. And um, Jennifer and I will chat a little bit about that, but the main thing that she touched on before is, is the PCS transitions. You know, those are critical times. It's it's a time where there's a lot of uncertainty, and we really need to up the support during those transitions versus taking away support, which is what we've kind of seen the trend be. Um, so there's a few things related to PCS transitions that we're keeping our eye on and, and looking on ways to collaborate, partnering um, with our other MSOs. One of them is remote enrollment, and that is very important to um, our folks that have IEPs to ensure that they can enroll where they know they're going to be in the next three months, send their IEP in advance, and ensure that those services and supports are in place when they arrive. In theory, I think there's nine states that are, that have remote enrollment in their legislation. But it's not really enforceable. And we would love to see all the states that have military families be able to adopt those same legislation and figure out a way to ensure that you know our kids can certainly be assured that when they get there, they will have transportation on their first day of school or they will have that one-on-one aid um, that's in their IEP from the previous school district. Those are critical pieces of the IEP that tend to go from our data more than a month or two. Missing from each move, so we need to ensure that remote enrollment is up and at it. Um, the other thing is, you know, like I just said. State laws, you know, they can go further than what IDA implements um, and, you know, a lot of times when you move a new school district. Do their own evaluations, collect their own data and see, well. Do they really need these support services, you know, from this previous school district and that tends to be a time where we lose, you know, services and supports or lose therapies that they had from the previous school district. So I think we're gonna look at how do we continue to retain those IEPs for our family to keep some consistency and routine for our families if they choose at the six months. I think that's going to be something that we're gonna look at just to ensure that there is this continuity of care for them and that they don't, don't struggle. You know, a lot of kids need that structure. They need routine. And we just don't, again, I agree that we need to increase that support every time we move, not take away. So having that flexibility of retaining the IEPs each time you move for up to six months, if the parents choose, would be helpful, you know, and it doesn't, especially if your your spouse is going to be deploying, you really don't want to have those additional stresses of, Having to attend IEP meetings, you know, to look at the data that was collected in a classroom—it's just it gets it gets very complicated. We need to have some type of normalcy when you move from place to place. And um, I would say the other thing is also making sure that we have some warm handoff. Is that a good word to say? <laughs> yeah, <it's- laughs> from one duty station to another. <laughs> I think that's really important to say, you know, have some coordination through those EFMP offices and say, we have XYZ family moving to your, you know, division, your school district area. Here's some things I'm seeing on the IEP that might be an issue. Let's let's make sure that these resources are available in the community. We need some warm handoffs. And I think that would be something that we can look at as they're standardizing EFMP this year. So working a little bit into the implementation, how are services going to standardize, and are they looking at these warm handoffs? And then the last thing that also Jen touched on, and I'll let her touch on more of it, is these knowledge gaps, you know, knowing about EFMP. Why are they not enrolling? Is it, why is the stigma still there? You know, how do we elevate the voices of those in leadership that are on the EFMP program? You know, where are sort of the gaps, and what can we do to help educate our, our families as best as possible? Now i let Jen talk a little bit more about that.
3: Uh, at Partners in Promise, Michelle mentioned those gaps, the knowledge gaps. And so our organization itself, we're focused on helping close some of those knowledge gaps. So whether that be creating blog posts about EFMP and and clarifying what these new pilot programs will include or connecting to resources that are available. Um, I think that's one of the things about The military that's so great and also really kind of hard is that there's an abundance of resources and knowing which one to believe or which one to try is really hard. So we're trying to curate good resources for our special education families. And one area, because we were talking before about those different levels and part of the, I would say almost like the life cycle of special education is we have families who have a diagnosis who have an IEP and their struggles are related to the moves like we talked about. But then there's also the people who are pre-diagnosis. They don't know if their child is struggling with a learning disability or if they're just struggling because their parent is deployed. They don't know. And so what we're focused on for the month of the military child is we're going to be putting on a what we call a gut check series. We hear a lot in parenting you know you need to trust your gut and and that is true but we also want to make sure that parents are not just going to facebook and hearing somebody else's story we want to bring in experts who can help them measure what they're feeling in their gut against facts and that is one area we're focused on closing that knowledge gap for families in this year and how they can stay connected um, with us by getting those resources from us and from People like you at MSEC, there are so many great resources available. We just wanna connect those families. That's one area. And then the other is we're working on our next survey, the follow-up to the one that we just conducted. And we will be focusing on those who choose not to enroll in EFMP and those maybe who don't know about what's required. So we wanna really hone in on that because I think those knowledge gaps are huge for families. Any delay in implementing an IEP All of these delays stand to set back progress for that child and so we want to make sure that people hit the ground running as best possible, given the lifestyle lifestyle of the military Um, and so. We want to connect people to resources um, to to find out what their struggles are and then to continue on reporting um, that to our leadership and in the DOD and Congress military service organizations and. And each other, just helping keep each other
2: on track. Jennifer, this survey is going to be fantastic for this year because it gives us the opportunity to really dig deeper onto, like you said, the stigma, of the FMP not enrolling, but also why are they not pursuing their parental rights? You know, why are they not filing, you know, the complaints? That really is important because many times when you have a disagreement, your next step is filing a complaint. Um, They're really, you can have mediation, but for most states who hand you a packet of your procedural safeguards, it's here's the next step. If you don't agree with what we are proposing, and it could be a state complaint. You know, it could be a mediation. It could be a due process, but, you know, the basics of a disagreement, where do you go from there? And so we want to know why our families not pursuing that that next step. So I think that survey will, will do some good. Digging for that, and I am so excited about the Gut Check series. I can't tell you how this will really help all of our families, even if they're not an EFMP. Because you know, when you do move around a lot, there's a lot of, you know, I, I don't know, maybe minimizing of what your child might be going through. It's like, oh, you know, mom or dad just recently deployed, so they're probably dealing with stress from that, or hey, it's been virtual, everyone's virtual, you know, learning right now. Maybe this is just because they don't want to sit in front of a computer. You know, I think once we get back into in-person, we're going to be seeing a lot more diagnoses because, you know, we're finally getting the moms and the dads who are at home to see their child in action. And they're they're now maybe trusting that gut a little bit more like, "Eh, maybe I thought that there was some issues. And now, they're seeing the issues. And so, we need to ensure that once they do get back into in-person, that they have those supports, that they can come to the table with data to say, this is what I've seen, this is the regression, this is this is my documentation, let's do some formal evaluations and get the help that my child needs. So, there's a lot of great things that are come out of Gut Check series, we're going to have some fantastic experts that can really just, you know, distinguish between
1: what may be the concern, which is truly a concern. So, we're, we're thrilled about that. And I think it's really interesting, the Gut Check series, as well as the survey, making that available to our families. And for our listeners, we're going to include information in our show's notes about both of those programs. Ladies, though, before we wrap up for today, are there any final stories or words of advice that you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: I joined Partners as a military family reporter. I was actually interviewing Michelle about her work, and it really inspired me just hearing her story, her personal story, but also the fact that she had these solutions. Um, it's what every military spouse really does. We we have the ability to fix our own problems. We have the knowledge. We just need a little bit of a help, helping hand. And in working with Partners in Promise, um, I've learned so much about myself um, about helping others within this community that at first, doesn't necessarily seem like that's not my fight. But for me, I saw special education as something that other people were dealing with, but I also wanted to become a part of and help with. Um, But through this process, I've been able to check my own gut. My daughter has struggled since she's now in second grade. Um, She struggled with reading, and we're still in the process of understanding what's going on. And earlier this week, Uh, I sent a a text message um, of a screenshot of my first uh, student student success team meeting. Um, We're advocating for her to get a 504 plan to help and get her just evaluated um, to find out what is going on with her reading. We can't attribute it anymore to a recent move or stress levels. There is something that's going on. And I, I personally have benefited from knowing these wonderful ladies who founded Partners in Promise who've given me tools that I need to advocate for my child, which is what everyone needs. Um, and so that's, as an organization, what we're all about. And it's just really been very cool to be able to benefit myself directly from from what we're doing. And I, I think that's kind of um, the whole point for us. That's our why, is to be able to share with families the tools that are hard-earned. Michelle and the founders have have been through it all. Michelle's daughter has been sued by a school district. They've learned the hard lessons so that we don't have to. And so I just would encourage families, even if they're not enrolled in EFMP, if they don't have a diagnosis to just educate themselves because you don't know when you're looking at and your child is just circumstantial or there's more. And just having that base of knowledge is key, especially now with COVID.
2: You took the words right out of my mouth, Jennifer. (laughs) You really did. And um, I'm getting a little bit emotional here just listening to it because it is, it is personal. And, um, you know, I think what you mentioned is that, hey, you're not alone, you know, and when you first came to Partners in Promise, I think one thing about EFMP families, we have so much on our plate. It really is hard to take care of our own families and then also take care of, you know, all of our EFMP community and it's easy to, to feel like you're just trying to keep your head above water. And I'm so grateful that you joined us to be able to see it from an outside review and, of course, now an inside review. But I really do think it was just you have to trust that gut. You need to reach out and find your tribe because we can't do this alone. And just knowing that EFMP is, is getting fortified and standardized you know, to be able to give those resources. Um, and then also just to make sure that we take care of each other on the mental health piece of it. You know, I am a big fan of telling people to please have your checkups, even maybe once every six months to make sure that you not only take care of your family, but take care of yourself. And I know I always laugh about that because, you know, if you have your choice of taking a kid to therapy or going down the aisles of Target just to have a couple of minutes to yourself, of course, you're going to always choose to take care of a child no matter what. But I think it is important for us to survive this military lifestyle, to have those few moments of just self-care and then also having an, a professional, just kind of making sure that um, we're doing everything we can to be able to to keep the family afloat. So find your tribe and of course, join us, you know, you can sign up for our newsletters. We we curate so many resources for our families and point them in the right directions. We are here for you. We have fantastic partners like MSEC that, that put out information all the time, but together we're stronger and we need these voices of all of our EFMP families together contact your ESMP office and say, hey, I want the pilot program that the Navy's doing, or I wanna make sure we get an attorney at this site, or I wanna you know, just engage. Because if they don't know that you're struggling, they're gonna think that what they have in place is already sufficient. And so we need to elevate the voices, come together, and uh, join us you know, in this advocacy to ensure that all of our exceptional military families are supported and that we can continue serving this great country Um, Ensuring their military family readiness and retention is where it needs to be. And again, thank you. Thank you for having us and and sharing a little bit about Partners in
1: Promise. And we look forward to to more collaborations with MSEC. Well, I really appreciate both of you ladies joining us today. And Partners in Promise, well, has really been able to take ideas from our frustrated families and turn them into Actionable legislation, which, as we're already starting to see, has improved the entire EFMP community. So, for our listeners that are interested, the website is thepromiseact.org, and we're going to include that in our show's notes, as well as the PIP survey findings and any other pertinent information that we discussed today. So, I'm really excited to see uh, what's going to happen in 2021. I think. Both of you ladies are women of action and very proud to have had a chance to chat with you. And I really look forward to seeing what you're going to accomplish in the years to come. Thank you, Susan. Well, as we wrap up, don't forget to join us. We're going to have another conversation with Michelle Norman talking about the EFMP pilot program, specifically the one with the Navy. And as we close, we'd like to thank our listeners for joining us today. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And we really do appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you'd like to hear more about.
0: Remember to join us back again next week to hear part two of this two-part series as Michelle shares more about the pilot program she mentioned earlier in this episode. You've been listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition, sponsored today by the Hickam Officer Spouses Club. You can listen to this podcast and those archived by topic when you subscribe and download at Podbean, iTunes, and Google Play. MSEC supports all military-connected children by educating, advocating, and collaborating to resolve education challenges associated with the military lifestyle. Learn more about our partnerships, programs, and initiatives at militarychild.org. And follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram for the latest on our enduring mission to serve the children of those who serve us all. Until next time, thanks for listening.